Good morning, everyone. So we are in uh, a short series that we've entitled Hark the Herald. Uh, we're going to be singing that song every week throughout this series. And what we're doing is we're looking at the, as Mike just said, we're looking at the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, and trying to connect the dots between the fact that, th- that thousands of years ago people wanted to find hope amidst the chaos, and we find that the same is still true for us today. Especially this time of year, I was um, having a lunch meeting this last week, and I was out at a restaurant, and I heard um, the seasonal music out in the background, and one of the songs that came on was that the, the one... <clears throat> Have yourself a merry, you know, that, that merry little Christmas song, right? So <clears throat> I was listening to it, and I, um, I get this sometimes where I, I hear songs I've known my whole life. Okay, we've known that. I think I've been raised in that song. I probably haven't memorized just because of exposure every year for 38 years. And then I was thinking about the lyrics, though, and I was like, this is a very strange song. It's very strange. For example, did you, did you, you've heard it, so you know the, wor- the word that says, have yourself a merry little Christmas, and then one of the lines is, um, from now on we all will be together if the fates allow. I'm like, wait, the fates? You know, you, like the fates are Greek mythological characters of destiny. Okay, so I'm kind of like, you know, who, who's writing this and what are they smoking when they're going, have yourself a merry little Christmas if the, the Greek mythological fates allow? I'm like, this is so weird. This is so strange. But, but the thing that really, I think, made me wonder, maybe here's why that song still lasts, even though it makes no sense at all. Um, and that might be that twice in the song, it mentions this desire that I think we have in our hearts. And it's in one of the lines, the first verse says, um, from now on our troubles will be far away or miles away or and then it says from now on our troubles will be out of sight and i think there's there's an element of this song that we're like yeah our troubles we want them out of sight we want them miles away don't we and so i think that resonates with us and i think we think that sometimes christmas itself will do that like christmas the, the holiday will bring those troubles and take them miles and far away but we know that's not actually true is it in fact, Christmas creates usually more troubles, right? We have more stress financially. We have more stress on our time demands. And we have uh, what, we'll call, what I'll call relational tensions with our family. I don't know if you've experienced that at all. I know you, actually, I do know you've experienced it because I hear it from you. Okay? So this is kind of what we, we, we experience. And the problem is, is that we want our troubles to be far away. We want our troubles to be miles away and, and out of sight. The problem is that our troubles go with us wherever we go because we are part of the problem. This isn't a new idea. So the question is, besides saying, hey, have yourself a merry little Christmas, is there truly a way for our troubles to be out of sight? Is there truly a way for our troubles to be miles away? And this morning, I think the prophet Zechariah, as ancient as this text is, he's going to give us some words that can point us towards some true hope in the midst of this. And so we're going to turn to Zechariah, but before we do that, I want to give you a little context just to back up. Um, in 587 B.C., the Babylonian army came into, the, came into Israel and took out the city of Jerusalem and, and destroyed the temple and sent the people to, uh, in exile to Babylon, took them back to their homeland and took them to Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah said this was going to happen, and he said the exile was going to last about 70 years. Zechariah is set 
almost 70 years after that happened. So we're at, at the tail end of what that exile is. And sure enough, the, the Persians come in, they take over the Babylonians, and King Cyrus allows the people to start to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And I think, you think about, they, they were there for almost three generations. They're thinking, ah, from now on, now we go back, our troubles will be miles away, our troubles will be out of sight. But that's not what they found. They found that that was not the case. And you would think that after having that prophet tell them this is what's going to happen and here's how long it's going to happen and both of those things came true and here's why they were in exile in the first place which is because they turned their back on the Lord that they may have learned something about it but they didn't. When they came back it was business as usual. And as, as Mike talked through last week and Zechariah opened up as a call, he had a call from God to tell people hey, you need to repent. We need, we need to turn back to the Lord. And he exhorted the people, and I think he, he got tired of exhorting, and so he went and took uh, some sleep. And when he did, he had some dreams, he had some visions, and there's about six or seven, depending on you want to count them, in the first six chapters of Zechariah. We're going to cover one of them today that talks about a high priest named Joshua. Okay, so grab a Bible and turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 1 through 10, which is on page 669. Zechariah chapter 3, page 669. And let me pray before we dive in here. Lord, uh, although these words are ancient, uh, they still apply to us today. May your spirit show us how, and may we respond accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. This is his dream. Then he, verse 1, it says, Then he, and Joshua is talking about an angel, then he showed me, uh, sorry, Zechariah is talking about an angel. Then he, the angel, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said, to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. So let's stop there for a second. I'm not going to bring you up to reenact this, although I know you want me to do that. I'm not going to do it because uh, I know you love that. But um, I want you to envision kind of a courtroom scene. So Zechariah, in his vision, has an angel who comes and takes him kind of a, and shows him this scene. And in this scene, there is this guy named Joshua, the, the high priest. Now, Joshua, the high priest, is not the same guy from the book of Joshua. That was way before this. Joshua, this is Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Can you say that? Joshua, son of Jehozadak. There you go. That's a good one. So Joshua's uh, high priest, he was the high priest during the time of Zechariah. He's there in this vision. And he, he seems to be standing, there, there's the, the angel of the Lord is there, and Satan, or the adversary or the accuser is there. And this is kind of how the scene is playing out. And so we have this picture. And as the scene opens, Satan seems to be pointing at Joshua as if to accuse him of something. And it's, he's accusing him of wearing filthy clothes, is really what, what's going to be happening there. And the reason that Satan's doing that is he knows that he can, because he knows this picture is messed up. Like, there should be no way that Joshua the high priest is, is, comes anywhere near to, to the Lord looking like this. Okay? Because 
if you were to have a little bit of time and you were to go to Leviticus chapters 8 or 16, for example, and do some, some just reading there, you'll find that there is painstaking details around what it was, what the high priest was supposed to do to make himself ready to present himself before the Lord to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. So here's, here's what had to happen, folks. First, high priest would have had to have been washed. And then after the high priest would have been washed, he would have had the, the tunic put on him, the sacred tunic. Okay? Then the sash, then the robe, then the ephod, then the waistband, and then some anointing oil would have went on his head and his hair, and then after that, turban, okay, on top. And then after all that was all done, then, still not ready to be before the Lord, would have to take a bull, sacrifice the bull as a sin offering, then take a ram or a goat, guilt, or sorry, that was a burnt offering, then burn those babies up, and then you take bread, wave it. That's a wave offering. So all this stuff, it's like, and then thou shalt lovest thy holy hand grenade. I mean, like, there's all this, like, there's all these things that have to happen to make it so that he can stand before the Lord. And um, this is not the case. Here he's got dirty clothes on. But he's not allowed to accuse Joshua. Because God steps in, the angel of the Lord steps in, and instead of rebuking Joshua for his filthy clothes, the Lord says, Satan, shut it. I have chosen him. He's a brand, he's a, he's a, a stick that I have pulled out of the burning fire. I have chosen him. And so it seems like Satan then exits because we don't find him again. But there's still, after the lack of accusation, there's still a real picture of Pigpen, like Pigpen standing before the Lord God Almighty. What are we going to do with this? Is the question. And Joshua wants to have his clothes taken off. Like there's no way, he, he knows there's this tension because he knows this is, as the high priest, he's like, this is best. Literally and figuratively. And he wants these clothes off so bad. I'll tell you a story. Most of you here today who probably made it through the snow know that I grew up on a farm. Okay? I grew up on a farm, and, and growing up on the farm, there's a bunch of chores you have, and one of the chores I happened to have was something called rolling and scraping the gutter grates. Okay, now for you city folk, if you don't know what a gutter grate is, let me tell you. Now let me, I got a picture uh, of, so this is what the barn looks like kind of today. This is, it's not even in function anymore. And we went back, I took the kids, you can see the kids, it's kind of showing them through. This is the barn uh, that I worked at when I grew up in to some extent. Um, and not in its heyday for sure. Now those, those two trenches, the, the, what's, what's, these are called stanchions on the right and left. And that's where the cattle come in and they have their little, it's kind of like their little apartment there. Okay, and so they go into their stanchion, they can eat there, drink there, and they can also go to the bathroom there, which happens to go right into those two trenches uh, called the gutters there. And now, used to, used to have grates, they're not there anymore, but they used to have grates that would be on top of there so the cows wouldn't step in there when they're trying to get in and out. And those grates, then they'd have, they'd, they'd poop. Okay, that's fair. So they did that, they, they defecated into that gutter, hopefully. And so what you'd have to do is sometimes it would be hard and you'd have to like roll it with a roller, 
through the grates, and then it you getting you're loving this it's like a farm lesson, right? Like, like why are you telling all this detail? I gotta tell you why. Okay, so tell you this detail because there's grates. I had to scrape them, and then so there's a there was a big chain with these paddles that would go throughout an automated kind of like way to take. Eventually, when you got it through, it's called the barn cleaner. It take the, the manure out, and it would throw it down in this thing and it pump it out to was a huge gigantic slurry, which is a gigantic like a silo but way bigger and just filled with manure like. I don't know, 30,000 gallons, okay? So anyway, why was I telling the story? No, I'm just kidding. So um, I'm telling the story because um, one of the chores was to scrape, scrape the grates. And the way you're supposed to do is go down the right side and then come back down the left side. One day I was bored because I was a kid, and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do it backwards. So I started going down the left side, and I started coming back down this side, and I was going backwards. And I'm just scraping the grates scraping the grates. And then right in the very end, right kind of before this picture is taken, there's a space where there aren't grates because there's no stanchions. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> barn cleaner was going. I was scraping the doo, doo, fell straight back into the six-foot section, and the barn cleaner was running, which means it had manure this deep, this wide, this long. And, and I, when I tell you folks, I'm not saying I got a little on me. I'm talking about Swamp Monster. Like, I was covered in manure, liquid manure, okay? And I, ha- I remember it was cold like today. I had, I had long underwear on. And I remember eventually when I got that to that, that it was soaked through with liquid manure. Like, you want to talk about gross. Like, this is gross. And you, you knew my mom, Karen, like... There is nowhere I would come anywhere near the house looking like that. Okay? I needed some clothes, by the way. I needed some new clothes. I was a little filthy. And I didn't even know where to start. Where do you start? Like, take a... I don't know. I needed help. I literally needed help. My mom had to help bring some clothes and help me actually change out and like spray me. It was gross. So why do I tell that story? Hopefully you're making a connection here because we got Joshua... Standing before the Lord. And, and one of the commentators actually backs me up on this because he says the word filthy in this context would imply that he had, Joshua had excrement all over him. Okay? So I'm trying to give you a picture of what this would have looked like as he stood before the Lord. Now, regardless of the exact makeup of the filth, the, the angel of the Lord talks about these dirty clothes in metaphorical terms because he says when he takes the clothes off him, he says, see, I've removed, not your clothes, he says, I've removed your sin from you. I've removed your sin from you, and I put rich garments on you. And so in this strange dream, we have this image of God himself taking the dirty clothes off of the high priest. The priest isn't doing it by his own rituals. He, he has to have God do this. And then he's given ra- lavish robes. Now, we talked earlier about the idea of going back to the temple and having the temple be rebuilt. And Cyrus said you can go do that. Why was that important? It was important because, first of all, the temple was seen to be kind of the epicenter of God's presence. But it was also the place where the priests could offer their sacrifices. And without offering their sacrifices, it was like the people were literally walking around with their dirty clothes on, or metaphorically speaking, at least. But the ritual cleansing is not what makes the high priest Joshua clean here. It's not a sin offering, a burnt offering, or a wave offering. God removes his iniquity. And I think, honestly, I think, folks, Zechariah is watching this, and he gets so excited about this. The, the new clothes come in. He goes, and don't forget his hat. Give him a turban. Get the turban out. That's, I mean, you see him. He's excited. He speaks in the middle of his own vision. Turban. 
And then, and then now Joshua is ready to go. Turban, he's ready to go. Now where does this go? Let's see, verse 6. Let's pick back up. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. So, so after he's got new clothes on, the Lord, uh, angel of the Lord gives Joshua a conditional promise with these, this trifle blessing. Hey, if you keep the requirements, if you do your acts of service, these things that I'm requiring of you as high priest, then you will rule over my house and my courts, and you'll have a place of standing amongst the angels, because the angels are the ones that were standing in this vision, which sounds like a big deal. But then the Lord himself brings this to a close, this vision in verse 8, where he says this. Listen, O high priest, Joshua, and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And in that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and his fig tree, declares the Lord. Almighty, this is God's word. So in the midst of the hubbub about Joshua and his dirty clothes and getting him reclothed and his, his having to walk in the Lord's ways, God turns the focus of the scene not away from Joshua and to someone else, this servant called the branch. And one of the interesting things about this branch is that the prophet Jeremiah, the guy who predicted the exile and how long it was going to last, and that came true, he also spoke about this guy called the branch. And here's what we find Jeremiah says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The name he will be called is the Lord, our righteousness. Not not rituals, our righteousness, not the temple, our righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness. And then there was a prophet, Isaiah, who was even before Jeremiah, and Isaiah mentioned the branch too. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The other interesting thing to note here is that even though he goes to trouble to say, hey, Joshua, make sure you do these service, do the, you know, make sure you follow my ways and my requirements, he ends up coming back to the point he says, in a day, in, in one day, I will remove the iniquity. The Lord says this. The Lord says, again, I will remove the iniquity of this land in one day. Now, the part with a stone with seven eyeballs on it, let me tell you exactly what that means. I have no idea. I have no idea. Some commentators say, well, it's actually a word means facets, so it's seven facets of the stone. Some say, well, maybe it should be translated as like seven streams that flow out from the stone. Some say, well, it's, no, it's like perfect eyeballs everywhere, which means you can see everything. I don't know. I don't know what it means. But I, I, the focus of this text seems to be, not even Joshua, it seems to be about the repeated idea of the iniquity being removed from the land by the Lord himself. And, and, and God says, on that day when I do that, you're going to invite your neighbors under your fig tree and you're going to hang out and you're going to celebrate it. And then the dream ends. That's it. And so you're like, okay, Troy, Zechariah, like, what? Like, how does this have to do with Christmas, Troy? It's snowing. We should be talking about, like, Advent right now. And we're talking about a stone with seven eyeballs on it? Really? Like, there's a Christmas song for you. 
Have you seen the stone with seven eyeballs? I mean, like, so, so why, Troy? Why aren't we, like, covering at least part of the Christmas narrative here? You know, we could be talking about John the Baptist at this point. It's kind of where it should be in the Advent. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that for a second. If you're to go to Luke chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but you're going to see the beginning of the narrative of Christmas. And the first narrative part of the narrative goes, it talks about a guy named John the Baptist's dad. Does anyone remember what John the Baptist's dad's name was? What? Zechariah. Well, that's kind of a cool coincidence, isn't it? Do you guys remember what Zechariah, what his job was? John the Baptist's dad, you remember what he was? He was a priest. Well, that's kind of fun. Does anyone remember what Zechariah, the priest, John the Baptist's dad, what happened to him when he went up to the temple to do his acts of service? What happened to him when he went up there? Yes, you. He lost his voice. He did lose his voice, yes. He had a vision, right? He had a dream. In that dream, the angel Gabriel said to him, he said, um, you're going to have a son and he's going to prepare a people who, who are ready for the Lord. That's John the Baptist. And that, then that angel, Gabriel, then went to another gal. Her name was Mary. And she had a vision too. Then this angel, and the angel says, Mary, you are gonna, you're going to become pregnant and you're going to have a son. You're going to give birth to him and you're going to name him? No. No. You're going to name him Joshua. Jesus is Greek. All I'm saying is that Jesus is still fine. You're right. Okay, but so, so Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua, because he says, because the, this one the, will save the people from their sins. I don't know, folks, kind of cool coincidences. Maybe that's it, but I just wanted to go there for Advent for you. Okay, there you go. There is, there's got to be some amazing links here because this is what we're talking about. Zechariah was talking about, he's talking about this branch. Okay. Let me ask you this. How many of you before today have ever heard of Joshua, son of Jehozadak? Oh, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Three of you. Okay, so, and the reason why is because he's not that big of a deal. He's just not. And the reason he's not is because he cannot take even his own dirty clothes off. He can't remove his own iniquity, let alone the iniquity of the people. And if, and if John the Baptist's dad, 400 years later, was still a priest, it means he was still going to the temple, it means he was still offering sacrifices, that this fulfillment had not happened. And it wasn't Joshua, son of Jehozadak, that this was really about. The temple hadn't fixed it. The rituals hadn't cleansed. The troubles were not far away or out of sight. See, folks, the change in the location doesn't change that. And, and, and so we, we don't have a temple. But, but today, sometimes I think we wonder if maybe if we go to church, or go, which isn't the words that we use, we go to a gathering, but maybe go to a building, do we think that perhaps if we go, then, we'll, then maybe our troubles will be far away? We, we know better than that. That's not how it works. But I would present to you there is a way to have a merry little Christmas, even though the song gives us no clues. I mean, maybe hang the highest star on the highest bow. Maybe that's how you do it. I, I don't think so. But Zechariah does. Because the holiday that, we are com- that we're about to celebrate is the birth of the branch. The birth of Joshua, the ultimate high priest. The one who did perfectly walk in the Lord's ways, who did perfectly fulfill the Lord's requirements, and who now, 
oversees the courts and the house of the Lord Almighty and who has a place among the angels. Hebrews says far superior is that place among the angels. He's the only way for our troubles to be out of sight. Where do you think Joshua the high priest got those robes from? He got them from the only one who was ever worthy to wear them, who gave them up. So he could exchange them for our filthy excrement. He's the only one who can take our troubles miles away. Not because he offered the, the sacrifices of the high priest, but because he was the sacrifice. And in a single day, the sin and the iniquity of the entire land could be removed in him. The writer of the Hebrews wrote this. This Hebrews this is the New Testament. This is after Jesus uh, was lived and died on the cross. Day after day, they wrote, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I think one of the reasons we struggle to have a Merry Christmas is because we somehow think that our, it's, it's our troubles that need to be miles away and we forget that it, it's not that. The, the, the troubles are in here. That if really we wanted to get the troubles far away, that we need to first look at ourselves and realize that if it, if it were manifested on our clothes, that we would look just like I did when I, fell out of, when I, when I came out of the manure. That's how we would look. And so... I. I had some stuff in here that was really for folks who were probably maybe visiting. Um, there's probably not as many of those here today, so, uh, but I'll, I'll speak to that anyway so that those of you who, who are maybe not in that place could hear it. Some of you, some of you may be here today and you have, under, you have trouble understanding what the big deal with the dirty clothes is about. And the reason you may do that is because you're like, well, I'm just not dirty. I'm not that dirty compared to that person. And that's kind of how we, we do this. We relativize this. Well, I'm not really that dirty. Look, look at that person. It's one of the ways that we approach this. Some people, um, maybe who are here today, would say, well, I understand that I'm dirty. I understand that I have these things in my heart, but, but you need to understand, like, I am from the Midwest, and what we do is we take a scrub brush and we just scrub that up. Like, I know how to clean this stuff out. And that's what I do. I'll just clean this stuff out and make it good again. Then I get it dirty a little bit, but I'll just keep cleaning it up. And, and there are others of you who may be here who are like, you know what, Troy? No, no, I don't see myself that way or that way. What I see myself is completely just like you looked like when you got out of the manure. And there's no way that anybody could ever clean me up because of the dirty clothes that I wear because of what I've done. There's no way. But folks, there's, there's a problem with all three of these postures. And so I want to go back to the farm with you. I have an aerial shot. So that's the farm. There's the barn down there. We had the grates in. And um, there's the house in the, in the lower right there that we went up to. That's where I grew up. And there was a lord of that house, and her name was Karen. And, and I want you to imagine that uh, I was covered in manure, and I started to walk up to that house and tried to go in that house. Now, if you know my mom, you're going, oh, no, no way. My mom did an amazing job of cleaning in the middle of having a farmhouse. That house was immaculate inside. She wanted to have a place of peace for my, 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 my dad and the family. And so, I mean, it was, there was a porch that was kind of like a buffer zone. But once you got inside, it's like, oh, okay. Like, and, and so you, you, you don't go into that house like that. She, 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 if, I, if we go up and we're like, swamp monster manure, you, you go, 
she looks at you. She says, "No, uh, that's not going to that's not going to fly." And and so some folks might be like, "Well, why? Wouldn't she's your mother? Wouldn't she accept you with loving arms like God? Why would you be mad about this dirt and mud?" Well, here's why, folks. We don't have an understanding of God's kingdom. He's God's king. We don't want that stuff in God's kingdom. We don't want any of that filth in God's kingdom. And God doesn't want it either. And so he can't be there. And so if you're here and you're like, you're going, well, I, I'm not, it's, it's about that other person. That's, they're dirty. I'm not that dirty. Well, you're, you're relativizing and you have, a, that's what's called a lack of self-awareness of your own heart of how filthy you are and how it would just like somehow slip into God's kingdom. That can't be. And so what happens instead, because you can't get in, there's no way my mom's letting you in the house like that, is there's someone else in the house who has these perfect clothes on. And he, he says, I'll, I'll come out of the house and I'll clean you up. And he cleans you and he takes his perfect clothes off and he gives them to you. And he then takes the other clothes and puts them on himself. Or you can think of it a different way. He's cleaned you up and as he cleans, he gets himself dirty in doing that. And now he can't come in, but you can go in. Folks, this is a picture of the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus does. This is what it's like. But he's got a plan now because here's the problem. He is now out. You're in. He's out. But it doesn't end like that. He's got a plan. He's got to get in. And he knows that ultimately it's not about the clothes themselves. It's about the manure that is on the clothes that makes them not right. And so it's not about the clothes. He goes back down to the barn. And instead of going to the, take care of the manure and the grates, he goes down. And it's just off to the left. You can't see it. The shadow of it's there. The 30,000 gallon slurry. And he doesn't, he doesn't slip and fall into it. He jumps into it and he drowns in it. And he dies in the manure. And as he does, it implodes. I mean, the illustration only goes so far, folks. But you get it? I hope you get the point. This is what Jesus has done. This is what he's done. And this is why it's good news. And when we get it, folks, we're going to have ourselves a Merry Christmas because we're going to have our troubles out of sight in him. We're going to have troubles miles and miles and miles away as far as the east is from the west in Christ. And once we grasp that, here's an application for all of you that have grasped that, because I think many of you here today have grasped that. Once we grasp that, it says in this text, it like closes with a great application. You then bring your neighbors under your vine and under your fig tree and under your pine tree and under your Christmas tree and under your roof and you have them sit down and you listen to their story and you hear them and then you show them the good news because they have the dirty clothes on too. And they need, they want to have a merry little Christmas. They don't know how because they know it's not by hanging a star upon the highest bough. And you share that with them as you bring them under your fig tree. And so that's my challenge. If you're here today and you don't, you don't know how dirty you are, I ask you to really have some self-awareness. And then if you understand that there is one who has come and he's offered to take your dirty clothes and give you robes of righteousness, that's Jesus. And if you have done those things, then I'd ask that you would, this, the challenge is this Christmas in Invite your neighbors, coworkers, colleagues, friends, family under your fig tree and share with them the hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, his righteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much of what you have done in removing the iniquity of not just the land in Zechariah's day, 
But you have removed the iniquity of the entire earth for those who place their trust and faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and exchange his clothes for theirs, his righteousness for, for theirs, Lord, for ours. We thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to, if we understand that, truly grasp it and then, sh- and then have an other, invite others to, to the hope that we have in Christ this season. It's a great reason to sit down with folks and listen and then maybe you'll give us an opportunity to share the reason that we can have a Merry Christmas. May we do this together as a family. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.